Let's do our Bibles and we'll read together the Psalm 19 and then we'll seek the Lord together in a word of prayer. Psalm 19. To the chief musician, the Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech no, nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a, cham- a bridegroom uh, coming out of his chamber and rejoices the strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thy me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength. And my Redeemer, let's all bow together, please, in a word of prayer. Let's all call upon the Lord. Eternal God and Father, we come before Thee on this Your day. We thank You again for the provision of a Sabbath for our souls. We rejoice, O God, in Your wisdom. You understand our frame. The need for this day to be set apart for Your glory, but also for our benefit. We thank you, Lord, this day is good for body and soul. It is a day whereby we can consider afresh the glories of our God. We think, dear Father, of this psalm we've read together. We understand, O Lord, that this created order, it displays your glory and your majesty. We thank you, O Lord, that as we behold these things, we realize that you are God. And we see in the person of Christ Jesus that there is no other God but Thee. We thank You You're the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And even Christ, He was there at the beginning of time. We bless You for the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we bow and we worship Thee afresh today. Help us, O Lord, to give due diligence to consider the Word today. We thank You for this Sabbath school hour, a time for Bible study and considering the things of God Help us, O Lord, to do this with great care, that we would discern how you reveal yourself in the Word, that we would not bring our own imagination to this study, but rather be those who are under the Word, carefully considering what your Word tells us regarding yourself. Bless us, O Lord, afresh today. We do look to thee. We think of the young people and the children downstairs. O Lord, may they also be taught of God today. Bless those who are uh, conducting their instruction. Guide them, guide their hearts and their minds. 
And we pray, O God, that all of us would know, again, the joy of seeing God afresh in the Scriptures. And so encourage our hearts today. Give us grace. Remember those who can't be here. We pray that they would also know your help and your grace. We do ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So last time we were together, we began a new series of studies uh, really on the subject, or what we're going to title it, the subject of God. God is. Really looking at the subject of the existence and the attributes of God. And I want to say uh, we're looking at that subject of the existence and attributes of God. We are going to primarily spend our time looking at the attributes of God over the several weeks and months uh, that are ahead. But last time we began our studies by introduction by asking the question, are there any atheists? What is it to be an atheist? And I encourage you, please turn your Bibles, turn your Bibles back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Because in our conversation, we noted a couple of things. And that is, in one sense, there is no such thing as an atheist. In one sense. We get that, of course, from verse number 20 of Romans chapter 1. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And that those who have this knowledge from creation of the being of God, they are said in verse number 18, to hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now that, again, you may read that as a young person in this place, and you say, well, if I hold the truth, that's a good thing. Well, that's not the point here. They're not holding the truth. They're not holding the truth corruptly. Rather, they are suppressing what they know. Through their unrighteousness, they are holding down. It's a wrestling move. They are suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness as they want to live an ungodly life. So they deny the truth that is clear from creation. So in one sense, there is no such thing as an atheist. Yet on the other hand, when you go across to Romans chapter 3, and you see there in the verse number 12, Romans 3 verse 12 is a quotation from uh, the 14th Psalm. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become profitable, there is none that doeth good, no not one. And again also then verse 18, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that's a description not of some unbelievers, but of all unbelievers. It's a description of mankind in their natural state. And drawing from Psalm 14, where that psalm begins, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, it leads Sharnock, and I think any Bible scholar, to bring the conclusion to their minds that all unbelief is essentially atheistic. That whilst, again, there's no one who doesn't know there's gods, Yet on the one hand, all unbelief is professed atheism. Again, we saw last time, Sharnock divides that atheism into three groups. There's absolute atheism. Again, those who just uh, outright deny the existence of God. There's providential atheism. We might call that deism. In other words, there's a God, but he's removed from uh, creation, removed from this world. And then thirdly, there is that group of natural deism, whereby they deny who God is. And you see that from Hebrews chapter 11. We must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so there is the implication there, and not only the need to know that there is a God, 
but also true faith requires us knowing God as he has revealed himself in the word. And so from that kind of foundational study, we get these two issues, God's existence and God's attributes. And bringing them together is required for true faith. And so that's what we're going to do over the next number of weeks and months, seeking to bring those things uh, together. The last time we embarked on, again, a conversation regarding the existence of God, and also often known as evidences for God's existence. Now, be honest, I'm a little bit uncomfortable sometimes with that language. I hinted at that last time. God's never in the Word of God seeks to prove his existence. In the beginning, God. God does not need to prove himself. God is. And so, therefore, we've got to be very careful when we discuss the matter of the evidences for God. And again, those of you who are aware of these things, there are different schools of thought uh, regarding what's known as apologetics, defending the faith. And in those different schools of thought, there are various thoughts regarding the different evidences that are used. Importantly, and again, we mentioned this last time, importantly, we must understand that we present the evidence for God differently than we consider evidences in this world. Well, what do I mean? Well, if we prove something in this world, we prove it by looking to a higher or more reliable account for what we're seeking to prove. And there is no higher authority than God, and there is no more reliable authority than God. And so therefore, to prove God's existence, we've got to do so by considering God himself. And so that led us to really three categories. There are, say, three categories of thought regarding the existence of God. Who can help me out with these? We had three C's, remember? One, two, three. Let's work it there. Who are the three C's then? We seek to look at the Bible's evidence for God. Yeah, Jack. Creation was the first one, okay? And we haven't finished that. We'll come back to that one in a few moments. Second one? Yeah, Christine. Conscience is the second one. It's one of those words I always find hard to spell. If this is wrong, I apologize already. Conscience in the third era. Yes, Dizzy? Christ was there, okay? Now, what we're going to see is. These first two, what they essentially do in terms of creation and conscience, what they do primarily is prove that there is a God. And then in Christ, we see the nature and the identity of that God. It's not, again, you understand when I'm saying Christ, I'm not just talking about incarnation. I'm talking about incarnation as predicted in the Old Testament. And so we see God revealed, of course, in Jehovah, in the Red Sea, and all of those historical accounts. But it all centers upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so it's a, it's a convenient, I think it's, it's a convenient category uh, to help us think through these issues. And so we began to think of the issue of, of creation last time. And we do this under, under three O's. Okay, first of all, there was the issue of origin. And this is a matter of, of logical inference, but it's there, of course, over in Romans chapter 1. We've read the verse already. Verse number 20, creation shows his eternal power and Godhead. Now, the power of God is shown in that he made the world out of nothing. You have that Hebrews chapter 11. Faith again. You know, let's just turn there very quickly. Hebrews 11, and you'll see that text. It's such an important text on this subject. 
In Hebrews 11, you see in this chapter of faith and what faith is, again, in the unseen, and the fact is we have not seen creation, but you have it there, verse number 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Again, we touched on this last time, and I made the point, I hope you understand that, that the unseen reality of creation does not mean that we are believing something without evidence. Some of this idea, well, if you're a creationist, you're not a scientist. Science looks at evidence and comes up with there being no God. That's nonsense, but that's what their assertion is. And so they say, well, you're, you're a Christian. You only believe in creation because that's your faith. You, you make that leap of faith. That's not what the text is saying. The, the definition of faith in Hebrews 11 is believing what you yourself do not see with your physical eyes. Abraham, you're, you're not seeing the country. You know, Moses, you're not seeing the riches of Christ. But you're believing these things by faith, but not without evidence. And so when it comes to the power of God being shown in creation, we are seeing God's power in his ability to produce everything out of nothing. But that does not mean, please understand, that does not mean that something came from nothing. Okay, you look confused, some of you. We are not asserting ex nihilo creation is not an assertion that something comes from nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. Creation is the proof that something comes from someone. And so everything comes from someone, namely God. But there must be a first cause. And that first cause is not matter itself. No matter how small that beginning may be. And again, there's all manner of theories and thoughts as to where matter comes from. But ultimately, when you keep going back and back and back, there has to be something. And so either matter is eternal or God is eternal. But the evidence within creation is not of an impersonal beginning, but of a personal beginning and an intelligent beginning. I hope you're understanding that. You follow that logic. So everything comes from someone, namely God. And that someone is personal and intelligent And that's seen in the design of creation. It's seen in the glories of creation. It's seen in the fact that even right now I'm talking and you're understanding to some degree what I'm saying. That's evidence of an intelligent beginning. Okay, so that's one of the key evidences regarding this matter of origin. The fact that there is something implies that there is an eternal, self-existent, personal, intelligent being. Yeah, George. Yeah, I'm not, not, not saying that. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not saying that. That's true. And so, of course, faith is always in the Scriptures. Okay, so we... we well, I, think, I think the map said this last time, maybe in conversation. The Bible is always going to be the filter and the prism through which we see creation. Okay, so when we, when we, when we look at something scientifically, we examine some part of this world, 
and it brings us to a conclusion away from the Scriptures. Again, a Christian scientist is going to look at that and say, there's something flawed in my science here. I'm going to go back and review this. Darwin didn't do that. So Darwin saw evolutionary process, but within a species, and then drew the conclusion of intraspecies evolution, which is like a wrong conclusion, and then went back all the way back to there being no God at all. Okay, so you, you get wrong conclusions, but again, a Christian's going to say, well, the Bible's going to be my governance. So yeah, there's faith in the Scriptures, but, but I'm also suggesting, I think this is true, that even in the created world, without a Bible, there's evidence of creation. That's Romans 1. So no Bible, no law, no knowledge of, of a true God, yet still within the created order, there's enough that leaves man without excuse. That there is indeed a higher being, and as we see in the, in the conscience issue is, that higher being is a lawgiver. Not just, we're building up steps here, okay? So initially we're saying well, origin proves an intelligent beginning, uh, but conscience proves that that intelligent beginning is a lawgiver, Christ then proves that an intelligent beginning is a lawgiver who saves. You see how these things develop, even in the, in the created order? That's why these things are so important. Ultimately, you get to the gospel, and you see the glory of Christ Jesus in the Scripture. So, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's, in, it's in Scripture, but it's also in the created order itself. Any, any other questions or comments before we move on? Yeah, done. Yeah, sorry, for those who are maybe watching on listening in, Dan's making the point that there's this, within the unbeliever, there's this overwhelming tendency to suppress what is obvious. They're suppressing the truth. And again, we've got to be wise in this, folks. You will never persuade someone into the kingdom. And that's one of the most important things. Remember when you, we're not going to study apologetics in this course. That's not the point of this course. But apologetics is, again, the discussion, the reason discussion for the defense of the faith. And it is, it is helpful, helpful to have those, those conversations. But if you believe for a second that intellectually you can get to the point where you can convince someone intellectually that, that, that Christ is the only Savior and their Savior, you are deeply flawed in your understanding. We're going to see this morning in our studies in, in, in Kings and Elijah's life, we're going to look at Ahab. The hardness of heart despite the obvious evidence. Uh, and you're brought again to this, this idea of, of man's depravity. And if we, if we don't remember the subject of depravity, then we're, we're going to presume that we have greater powers than we have. It doesn't mean you don't defend the faith. But it also means when you go home at night, you don't despair. Uh, but you pray. Lord, open their hearts, cause them to see. And, and so in many ways, what we're looking at here, when you think of the evidence of God, it's an encouragement to you. <laughs> You, you've come to believe in God, and so when, you, when you're then confronted with unbelief in the world, 
the evidence for the faith strengthens the believer in the assault of the evil one. Hath God said, is God real? Well, well, yes. And it's clear. And so our faith is strengthened in this study. It's not just about seeking to defend the faith to the unbeliever. And so keeping that in mind, that's, that's a good important point, Dan. There's this suppression of the truth. Uh, Reformed Baptist, I had listened to a sermon a number of years ago. Pastor Al Martin uh, made the, the point. Uh, somebody said, uh, I don't believe in God. And he responded, what's her name? And the point he was making was, uh, again, there was a moral reason to make the person resist the understandable or the, 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 the understanding they had that there is a God. If I believe in a God, then I've got to change my conduct. And so if I have to change my conduct, I don't want to do that. Therefore, it's easier for me to deny the existence of God. That's what the text means, holding the truth, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so that's the subject of origin. Let's move on then to the the next matter regarding creation. And that is what I'm turning, really the organic unity, the organic unity of creation. We could go, you could open up a, a good uh, Christian science book and uh, a book on biology or, or nature or agriculture, uh, and all of those things would prove the organic unity of creation. What do I simply mean? Creation works. I know the fall has tremendous impact, and we live in a groaning creation, but still, this creation works. And the working of creation cannot be explained by this concept of chance. And of course, chance is nothing. Chance is flip a coin. Chance is no personal force. But even leaving that aside, the only way to explain organic unity of creation is to see an intelligent creator, designer who made these things. You just take, just take the simple matters of the gases you breathe right now. What are you, you're breathing in a, a complex mixture of gases. But what you really need to breathe in is just one part of that gaseous uh, mixture, uh, and that is, of course, oxygen. And you, you breathe that in, and then your, your body is made in such a way as, your, as the fine part of your lungs can absorb that oxygen. It's then transported with the, the pump of the heart to your muscles. I can wave at you right now. I can think. I can do all of these things because I've taken that deep breath in. And through the provision of oxygen, again combined, of course, with sugars, which you eat, all of those things, and we function. But the trees, they don't want oxygen. They want what you breathe out. They want your carbon dioxide, which they then use in photosynthesis. No, I'm not going to do all of that. But you get the point of the organic unity of creation. It's wonderful. And if one part breaks down, the whole thing breaks down. And so the proof then of God in his working of this and design and the unity of this created order is, again, a wonderful display of intelligence and design. But leading on from that, the third aspect of this creation purpose is its, if you like, its ongoing existence. Again, this is something we don't probably think of first up, but the fact that this world continues is evidence in creation for God being the God who made this world. You turn back to Psalm 36. There's a little couple of Psalms in this. Because the Bible does point us in this direction. But the idea is that nothing preserves itself. 
And the fact that God is God and is, is evidence of his preserving care, upholding all things by the word of his power. Again, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, but Psalm 36, verse 3. Sorry, I have a wrong text here again. Let's just let's go across. Psalm 104. Psalm 104. We'll skip that one. Psalm 104 and verse 24. So Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom. Hast thou made them all? The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships, there is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them that gather and openest thine hand, they are filled with goods. And then verse number 30, thou sendeth forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. This idea of God's preserving power, holding this world in its being. And so, again, these things overlap, of course. Origin and unity, and then, of course, the ongoing existence. uh, They all uh, point to God's, his eternal power and Godhead. Let's move on secondly then. any, Any comments or questions? Okay, let's move on then simply to conscience. I want to go further uh, today. So conscience. I think it's a matter of conscience. Now, two, two areas that I want to look at under conscience. First of all is the area of religion. And the second is the area of right. Now, when I said these things, I'm talking about this, there is an innate sense, a sense of religion and a sense of what is right that's inherent in man's consciousness. Again, turn back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Again, you have there in the verse 15, a section, I hope you understand, this section is dealing, again, with the inexcusableness of all mankind. The Jews, yes, they have the oracles of God, they have that privilege, but the Gentiles, of course, also, whilst they do not have the law, verse 14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So this issue of the work of the law, now, that shows itself in a couple of ways. It shows itself, first of all, in this issue of a sense of religion. History, throughout human civilization, has shown a God consciousness and an instinct to worship a higher being. That's true universally. Now, yes, through the fall, There are people who worship false gods. And again, there are some civilizations who worship a multiplicity of gods. You think of the Baalism even of the time of Elijah. 
multiplicity of gods in different forms in different regions. But even all of that still proves, uh, if you like, a God consciousness within man by nature. Now, here's a question for you, okay? 10.35. Let's ask this question, see if you think of this. Some will say, well, religion is just a matter of social engineering. It was an invention of man to lead to the control of people in fear. Social engineering. So your, your concept of a, a God consciousness, it's just a feature of human desire to control one another with a God concept. What do you think of that? Should we all go home? Yes, Ken. That's a very good point. So, in, 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 a, in some of those uh, autocratic type states where there's a desire to control people, they have not always used God. But the response might come, though, Ken. They, they may well say back to you, well, yes, there's more than one way to control, but God's one of those ways. Yes, yeah, so I understand there's more than one way, but, but God's one of the ways in which they're going to control. Yeah, take George and then Paul. Yeah, so religion can be used to control men. There's, a, there's some truth. You acknowledge the truth in that. And religion has been used over the years to, uh, to manipulate and control people. That, that's the truth. Yeah. Still, we're getting back to this issue. Well, I'm not seeking to defend false religion. All I'm defending right now is the fact that a God consciousness points towards there being a God and the being of God. Paul, you can comment. Yeah, that's true, and we can we can all even in a in a in a true biblical sense we can seek to control um, people with a false view of of God. But there's more there's more behind this, folks. You need to think a little bit about the assertion that God concept was man's idea. Well, where did the idea come from? Even if it is uh, again a desire to control man, where did the God concept come from? And why did it happen everywhere at the same time? Why is it universal in days before social media with no communication, but in this part and that part, there's still this God consciousness? We all know, Babel, okay? We, we, we understand biblically the scattering of the people. We understand the storyline of the Bible. But again, let's just answer the fool according to his folly. You say, well, God's a social construct, socially engineering people uh, to comply. Well, where did it come from? 
And why, why is it happening everywhere? And why is, why is nobody digging up some evidence to say, well, we're going to use this in such a way to control and manipulate people? It just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't actually give any credence to the evidence we have in the in the social world. A couple of hands up here. I think well, Paul. Yeah. Something like this, as far as uh, taking uh, truth and turning it into untruths and to manipulate the people, and so many people have been burned by that. You know, to turn to atheism. Now they remember that, and then they hold that against all Christianity, and it's true reason. In a sense, in essence, they've changed the question. Yeah, no, that's true. So yeah, the, 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 abuse of, the abuse of truth in this sense is, is a tremendous damage to the truth of the gospel. Yeah, Dan. So I'm coming and I'm thinking in my mind here, has God said, back to the garden, okay? Has God really said? And then we talked about suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. So, the, um, so they... they um, they became a law under their own self. So there, it, it goes back to, to Satan and the fall. I mean, so, you know, and then uh, they, they, they erected a religion that, that uh, even the Tower, Tower of Babel, which we're seeing, I believe, now, erected a religion that will, you know, fit in their agenda. You know, they believe the lie instead of the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um. I've had this conversation with many people, and they've said that exact same thing that you said as an argument. And my response is, you know, no man cometh under the light lest his deeds should be reproved. And what it does is reproves the conscience of man. And he doesn't want that reproof. So that's why he says, but you're just using that out of fear to keep me from doing what I really want to do. That's really what I find to be the proof. Yeah, isn't it? In all of these things, isn't the case that man's depravity is such? That, that depravity shows itself in morality. And so to defend the morality, they've got to then make intellectual constructs to defend the morality. And so this, back to that text again, it's suppressing, holding down the truth in unrighteousness. Daniel? Yes. I think it's more like uh, people just secularizing everything is because is they, they, just, they just kind of want to understand like every religion is just something. Uh, like you, you can have it just something you... you that you view to be true, and just, and when when really there's like one absolute truth, which is actually through a religion. Yeah, I think that's true. And so you, you you're getting a secularism, which again, of course, is a religion in itself. The religion itself, uh, secular identity is a is a self-made religion about self. But yeah, no, absolutely. So they deny all of these things. Again, our purpose right now: creation and conscience. And again, time's gone for now. But this religious sense of conscience is, again, it points us to the evidence of there being a higher being to whom we must worship. This is not proving the gospel. Please, we, we, we read Psalm 19 today. Creation proves so much, but we need the Bible to make our ways clear and plain and simple. And so I'm not suggesting that these are proofs for the gospel, but we are doing this in pieces. Again, we're doing one class at a time. You've got to see this as a big picture. We're not suggesting these things defend uh, the gospel of Christ Jesus. That's not our purpose. We're just simply saying that in this matter of conscience and a sense of religion, there's a pointing towards a higher being. And, you know, as we finish for today and finish this class right now, you have that within your own soul. 
And so when you, you come to the house of God here, you should do so thankful that God has opened your eyes to see that the one you worship is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it also should rebuke us that when we come to the house of God, we must never forget that we come to worship God. And so from, from now, 10.43 now, to 11 o'clock, you, we may go, you may prepare yourselves again, you may visit the bathroom and all of those things, but when you gather into the house of God, you're coming here to worship the living God. The awareness that God is God and you are his creatures, and therefore you must give him the honor due to his name. And you will do that only through the mediator Christ Jesus our Lord. But you come and you, you settle your hearts to worship the Lord and to honor and glorify him. And so, it's a gentle encouragement. As I'll close in prayer, and go prepare yourself and then come back and settle your hearts quietly, seeking God, looking for God to come and bless us in his house today. Well, let's seek God's face. Let's pray. And we'll come back to the issue of conscience and the matter of rights. Uh, we'll come back to that in two weeks' time. Next Lord's Day, of course, uh, we have our time of communion. But in two weeks' time, we'll come back and think further about the matter of our conscience. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this uh, time of study together. And we pray you'd bless and encourage our hearts. Help us, O Lord, again, to be humble, to look to Thee with, again, a sense of our need to understand clearly, not only that you are, but that you're the rewarder of those that diligently seek thee. May we see your glory in the face of Christ Jesus. Bless the word to our souls today. May it indeed encourage and uplift our hearts. We pray in Jesus' precious name for his sake. Amen.